What is up, LAFB fans? This is Will Decker, host of the Bruin Bible and draft is in session with Jamal Madney. We are excited to announce that we have matched with a number of sports books around the area. BetUS.com, make sure to check them out. It is the perfect place to bet on the NFL draft, the NBA, or any sport that you are interested in. Get a 125% bonus on your first deposit with our link. If you live in a betting state, then be sure to check out our deals with DraftKings, FanDuel, or BetMGM. Plenty of free money with your first deposit. In order to get our special deal, you're going to have to type in Bruin Bible. Uh, you have the link located in the description, so go check it out. Hit the link Bruin Bible, and you will get a special deal with BetUS.com. Now to the podcast. What is up and welcome to another episode of Draft is in Session. Will Decker, one of your two hosts here. I'm with the madman, the man, the myth, the legend, Jamal Madney, out in Los Angeles, California. How are you doing today, my brother? Will the thrill. Great to be here. You know, another day in paradise in L.A. And super excited to, to get into this one, Will, with, with the big uglies, the big nasties. The big nasties in the trenches and... You were making a point just a couple seconds ago on how vital this position group is. I want to let you speak to just what the offensive line means to the NFL in general and how much of an important position group it is uh, for teams as they look to build their rosters. Yeah, Will, I think that when you talk about the NFL, you could easily argue that outside of the position of quarterback, the offensive line and the defensive line have the most importance, but also the most discrepancy between quality players early and your top prospects in the early rounds versus the talent pool late in the draft. You can argue that wide receiver, running back, even corner to a certain extent are commoditized positions. And you can find value in the early rounds, in the late rounds, and even through undrafted free agency, because you can cover up certain deficiencies. You can hyper-specialize those positions based on a particular system. But where I believe GMs truly make their money is in the drafting of quarterbacks and at the line play. And in particular, when you look at the offensive line and the importance of the offensive line not only historically in the NFL, but in today's modern NFL, where the emphasis on the passing game is so heavy and pass production, uh, pass protection is so important, and also time of possession with the ball is so important nowadays in the NFL. The ability to control the line offensively is absolutely critical. And I know we live in this world of sexy stats and off-the-page highlights and the world of fantasy and the offensive line doesn't get that cachet because they're doing the dirty work in the trenches, but they are just so important to the game. And I'm so happy that we're dedicating the time and dedicating an episode to give these great players their due because these guys that we're talking about in this episode are truly special. And these guys don't grow on trees. And these guys really bring something to the table. So really excited about this, Will. And always excited to do this with you. Always excited to do it with you, my brother. And it just drives me crazy because a lot of people within the industry are going, you know, it's not a sexy draft. It's not those highlight level positions. But when you really break it down, 
quarterback is the most important position in football. I think there's no debate there. But if you were to tell me the two most important position groups outside of quarterback, it's offensive and defensive line for me. You got to protect your asset at the quarterback position. And what better job to make a quarterback's job hard than rushing the passer on the other side of the football? So for me, when people are going, hey, it's not a great draft, a lot of depth, maybe not a lot of blue chip prospects. I'm taking a look at this offensive tackle group that we're going to get into. This is one of the best I've ever seen, period. And you, we're going to get into some of the guys from there. We're going to get into some of the guard prospects. There's a center prospect I'm very excited to talk about. I'm sure the audience knows who we're going with there. Um, but just to, as a position group as a whole, offensive line just never gets the just due. It deserves, like you were saying earlier. So to kind of give these guys the respect they deserve is going to be a fun episode. We got to start locally, Madman. And the guy that I feel like is not getting his uh, you know, recognition so to speak, coming into the draft is Sean Ryan, six foot five, 320 pound lineman from UCLA. And UCLA fans know this as well as anyone. This guy has stepped foot on Westwood as a true freshman and has been a three year starter at a power five school in the Pac 12. Pac 12 has the third most combine invites out for any conference this year. So, very top level power five group. I got the combine actually in the background right now watching uh, the things that are going on. But Sean Ryan has been special. And I hear that he's just a run blocker. You know, he had very high grades as a run blocker, was very efficient in that manner. But when I looked at the tape and I looked at the stats, this guy had 703, you know, pass blocking opportunities over the last two years, Madman. He only allowed one sack. I mean, that is as good as a production as you could ask for in a tackle. Some people want to move him into guard. I am in the camp where it's like, hey, this guy was dominating effectively as a left tackle. Why change anything? If it's not broken, don't fix it so to speak. You're, you and I are big Bruins guys. You know, we do the Bruin Bible. Give me your take on Sean Ryan, because I think this is a guy that if you can get him in the second or third round, it's going to be an absolute steal and maybe an immediate level starter for some team looking for the tackle position. Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, Sean Ryan, you could argue, was one of the three or four best players on UCLA's team this year, period. And I think what makes him special and unique is twofold. One is you talked a lot about the experience of being a three-year starter um, and the, the number of snaps that he had. But it's also the quality of those snaps will, in terms of preparation for the next level. When you have a quarterback that's sort of a little bit more of a sitting duck, uh, a quick passer, quick release, you know, that is a different set of plays and that is a different set of experiences than when you have a guy like Dorian Thompson Robinson back there. And DTR has been one of the most explosive and exciting and dynamic players uh, in college football the last few years. But a lot of that has been predicated on when the primary and the secondary and the tertiary reads break down and it turns into a little bit of an improvisational sandlot game. And that is the hardest play and type of play for an offensive woman to defend. So not only did he have the 703 snaps, only giving up the one sack, look at the types of snaps. Not all experiences are created equal, where some of these plays were just so frenetic in UCLA's offense in terms of the breakdown of plays and the fact that he was able to maintain gap integrity, situational awareness, not get penalized, 
and be able to have the endurance to enable these plays to stay extended and provide UCLA with long range and long yardage opportunities is very, very significant. The second thing with Ryan is from a tactical perspective, he's an interesting watch on film. There are certain guys that we'll get to that love to sort of attack right at the beginning. Point of attack, they're the punchers. They're the guys, it's first blow. It's first point of contact. They are the aggressors. They want to initiate the contact. But if you look closely at Ryan, he's a guy that's a little bit more in kind of the wrestler school. He sort of waits for the contact to sort of emerge. And then his game is all about leverage, hands, balance, center of gravity. He's a guy that enjoys the contact, which, again, will make NFL teams and NFL GMs very excited because you're not always going to out-push the other guy, especially when you're coming into the league. You're not always going to out-intimidate, out-reflex the guy. Invariably, there's going to be contact there. And the fact that Ryan is like an NBA player who just seeks out the contact when he goes down the lane, his natural instinct is to create leverage in that contact. And that's tactically what I really like about Ryan moving forward and why I think he's a sneaky steal uh, for any team uh, really at all. Because whether you're talking about the pass game or the run game, he does that very consistently in both aspects. And I think if he does somehow get out of the second round, we could be talking about the potential steal of the draft. I mean, turn on the film against him, against Kayvon Thibodeau, a guy who's going to be a top 10 pick for all that matters. This guy gave him his all, and he played very well, you know, held him up a couple of times. Thibodeau definitely beat him. I mean, that's one of the best pass rushers we've seen in a long time come out there. But Sean Ryan was holding his own against arguably the best guy in the country at that. I'm glad you brought up the patience, too, that he possesses. A lot of the guys that you were saying come out and attack, hit you right in the mouth to start things off. He's kind of calculating how things are going on. And I think he had to kind of develop a sense of patience because Dorian Thompson Robinson, like you said, the dual threat ability, a passing, you know, uh, play can easily turn into a running play. So you can do pass blocking as well as run blocking all in the same time. That only prepares you for, you know, all of the tough situations you're going to face in the NFL. So Sean Ryan is a guy that I'm really, really high on. And I think if he gets out of the second round, watch out because this guy is going to be the steal of the draft. Let's take it to the tackle. The Ryan Thibodeau matchup before we we jump on. I'm reminded of that great scene. If you remember in the the old Samuel L. Jackson movie, Coach Carter, you know, where his starting center has to go up against, you know, the number one player in the country in the high school tournament. (laughs) Ty Crane, exactly. The next LeBron James, remember they said in in the movie. (laughs) And, you know, and Samuel L. Jackson in the timeout says, you know, battle, keep doing what you're doing, you know, and just hold on to that monster. And, And he held his own. And that's exactly what Sean Ryan did with Thibodeau. You know, he held his own. He held on to that monster and really gave UCLA a chance to win the game at the end. And that should really speak about his ability to play in the league competition. Draft is in session as everything you're looking for, including movie references of Coach Carter, one of my favorites around uh, me growing up. I want to break it down to the tackle group, Jamal. And there's three guys at the top, and then I think there's a couple other guys that could sneak into the first round. With the top three guys, any order you have them, I think is respectable. 
recently came to mind after watching tape and seeing how he showed up at the combine. There's one guy that I think you got to go number one overall at this point. That's Evan Neal. He has recently changed my mind the last 24, 48 hours. Give me your take on Evan Neal because I think this guy um, is one of the best I've seen at the tackle position, and he may not be the best pass blocker. He may not be the best run blocker in this draft, but he's top three in both of those. And he has the best technique of any player in this draft. Give me your take on Evan Neal because I fell in love with this prospect. Well, what is not to love? And it's also one of those things where, you know, you have to sort of flip your eyes a little bit and rub your eyes when you're looking at the tape because of how big he is. I mean, the the, the physical prowess at 6'7", um, you know, is really what has everyone salivating because he's got great feet. He's, he's very great with his hands and jamming and, and bumping guys. And, you know, he's got good lateral movement. He's obviously got the power and the pancake blocks. Um, you know, you can sort of pull him. You can play him in the screen game. There's a lot of different things you can do with him. I think, truthfully, there's some guys who can do all of those things, one of those things, kind of better than Neil. Like in terms of like explosiveness, I think there's guys who are maybe a little bit more explosive in terms of technique. There are guys who are maybe a little bit more better technique and so forth. But when you put the whole package together, he's elite across the board. And then when you factor in the size and whatever else you need to do is all incrementally coachable at the next level. And, you know, you're talking about, a guy who's going to be at, at your tackle spot for 10 to 15 years, and you're talking about an all-pro. And, and the fact that he was in such different offenses also over the years. I mean, look at the different types of quarterbacks Alabama has had just in the last three years alone between Tua, Mac Jones, and obviously now with Bryce Young, very different styles, you know, left-handed, right-handed, dual threat, you know, straight drop back pocket passer. And then when you fit in the Najee Harris's and the Brian Robinson's very different running styles, you had such a variety of talents in the backfield. And the fact that he was able to handle all of that and just be as effective in all of those systems, when you couple that with the, just the physical size and the dominance and the ability to kind of do everything really well. And when he's in the right system, he's going to be elite in those um, total package-wise, it's almost like, you know, sort of a college admissions applicant. You know, he's got the great GPA, the great essay, the great resume. Maybe there's things that a person could do better in one aspect. But when we put the whole body of work together, it's absolutely elite. And that's my take on Neil. Neil is phenomenal. And I don't know if you've seen the pictures yet. He showed up to the combine. He lost about 35, 40 pounds, yeah. turning that into muscle. He's now 6'7". 335 looking as good as you can ask for the yeah. comp that I saw and LA fans will know this Tyron Smith, formerly of USC, yeah, exactly. a shredded beast of alignment, uh, you know, a Debo, so to speak from the movie Friday. And Evan Neal is a freak of nature too. I mean, you've probably seen this as well. The split box jump he did at 40 inches yeah. where he just split it. And who can do that at six, seven, three fifty at that time. That's just a big man that is, so athletic, can move. You check every single box with a guy like Evan Neal. And by the way, he has over 500 career snaps at three different positions on the line. Left tackle, right tackle, and left guard. So if you want him to be versatile, he can be versatile. I think he's you know a generational left tackle. But if the worst-case scenario doesn't work out there at LT, 
he could be just an all pro guard for all that matters, you know, at the end of the day. So Evan Neal, I mean, what more could you ask for in a left tackle prospect? He's my number one guy overall. I got to go to my number two tackle here. And this guy may as well work at IHOP because on tape, I mean, he's the international house of pancakes, man. Uh, this is uh, Ecom Aquanu, and he had the highest run blocking grade uh, in PFF in three years at 95.1. Um, you know, allowed nine pressures on 476 passing blocking situations as well. This is a guy that I think is most known for the run game, but he's very good as a pass blocker. Didn't allow a sack this whole year. Um, and then just the highlight reel blocks. If you are looking for the Vince Carter of the blocking room, just dropping guys left and right, this is your guy because I was my jaw was dropping at some of these blocks that he was able to get in the open field at the second level, things like that. Tell me your thoughts on Aquanu because, I mean, Evan Neal is my guy, but I got to say it was a pretty close when it came down to Aquanu. Uh, a lot of people have him slated as the first overall pick in a lot of drafts too. So give me your take on Aquanu because I love this dude as well. Yeah, well, Aquanu is, <laughs> you know, when you look at the tape, it's it's really an argument between head and heart, truthfully, because yeah. your head says Neil, right? Because of just all of the measurables, everything that you talked about. And there's such a incredible comp there in Tyron Smith, which sort of is obvious the moment you see him. Ekanu's tape is the most exceptional of any of these prospects uh, from right. an offensive line position. Holy cow. I mean, and we're, we're getting on a roll here in terms of pop culture and movie references, Will. I mean, it looked like, the you know, that first scene in The Blind Side when, you know, the, yeah. the, the guy takes him down 40 yards. And obviously, it's sort of for theatrical purposes. Ikanwu was doing that to everybody. And when you talk about, you know, the Clemsons of the world, and when you're talking about the elite uh, teams that they played, Louisville played, I mean, he was absolutely insane, you know, just a, a creature of violence, really. I mean, there wasn't really this ability. His explosiveness uh, off the snap is incredible. He's actually kind of, for an individual his size, he actually has sprinter's reflexes. I mean, when you're talking about the 100-yard dash and you hit the gun and who's popping out of the, the blocks, Ikanwu has got that ability in terms of reflexibility at the snap. And that's what creates the jump. He's always first to hit. Um, the, the, you, you nailed it when you said, you know, Vince Carter, Dominique, MJ type of slam dunk competition film. It's all there. Um, and frankly, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't blame a team one bit if Ikanwu was the first guy off the board from a line perspective because you're really splitting hairs at that point. He just absolutely jumps off the page. Pancake blocks, guys trying to off the edge, trying to come around, um, you know, just bodying guys up. You know, he literally was sitting on guys for 45% of his film. I mean, it was really yeah. out of control. It was guy is Oh, yeah. I mean, to, to credit your point, he is a guy that's not dunking basketball. He's dunking bodies. And we're talking like 285, 290-pound yeah. bodies. So, dude, Aquanu, I mean – it's close at the top, and I don't blame them either, but, boy, I got Evan Neal by, like, a hair at the top. And it's just the versatility in both. Um, and, then, you know, the SEC competition, the six foot seven frame, the athleticism, you just can't teach it. But Aquanu, man, that is my other guy. And the next guy I want to get to 
is uh, Charles Cross, the guy who I feel is the best pass blocker of the bunch, best feet maybe of the group. I think he gets out of his breaks incredibly well. Uh, he had an 84.9 pass blocking rate, which was the third highest in the SEC. You couple that with the fact that Mississippi State was throwing the ball a lot. They weren't, frankly, a great team within the SEC. Um, so he had a lot more snaps than the next few guys that were on that list. Um, this is a guy I really liked. It, he allowed a 3% pressure rate last year. Charles Cross, I think in most years, could be considered the number one tackle. Give me your take on Cross because I think this guy is a stud, and I'm excited to see where he goes. And he could end up a top 10 pick because I think these three guys are destined for that. You know, Will, what's interesting is, and you, you talked about kind of your, your top three prospects and very similar to mine. Absolutely. No question about it. But what's unique about this class and, and a few of the other guys, you know, kind of the top five linemen, if you will, they actually all do one thing very uniquely better than everybody else. And, you know, Neil, just sort of the entire body of work, his just overall physical stature is incredible. Ikonwu with, you know, that ability, the reflexibility off the snap, I think is the best in this class. With Cross, you nailed it. It is his lateral quickness. Um, what really jumped off uh, off the, the film for me was you had defensive ends trying swim moves. You had defensive ends trying, you know, one step and then cut across. You had defensive ends trying to sort of shake and bake uh, from cross. And he was able to block with high effectiveness, stop, pivot, block with high effectiveness. And that lateral quickness is the best at this stage of anybody else. And so when you're talking about a team that runs a lot of misdirections, a lot of different types of formations and movement from a horizontal perspective, okay, a la the Kansas City Chiefs, a la the, 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 the Chargers to a certain extent, you know, and when you're sort of looking at those individuals and, and those types of schemes, Cross is your guy because his lateral quickness is astounding. You know, there's no ramp up there. You know, he sort of, he has exceptional pad level. He has exceptional technique. He stays low. And then, you know, someone's trying a quick swim move and he can sort of stay in position and go there. There's no ramp. There's no drop off and ramp up that's necessary even for a, a few milliseconds to be able to do that. And I think that's what Cross's superpower really is. Now, He's not as physically imposing as the other two guys we mentioned. You know, there's some polishing up there. So that's that's why we probably have him at three. But uh, it's not a far drop off. And that his lateral quickness is better than everybody else's, in my opinion. I completely agree. And, you know, I think there's a lot to be said. It's the highlight real plays is what gets you excited, the Aquanus. This guy's more of the Tim Duncan-esque, to put it in basketball terms. It's not going to blow you away. It's not the most exciting thing necessarily to watch, but your job is just to protect that backside. And in pass protection, he was as good as anyone I saw on tape due to that lateral quickness, six foot five, 311 pounds. I think there's a, you know, a large number of reasons to get really excited about Charles cross going to the next level. And if I'm at that, like eight, nine, 10 spot, you know, in the draft and the top 10 picks that latter half of the top 10, why not take a guy like Charles cross? The league is pass happy. That's what you need to block the most right now. Charles Cross checks that box for me immediately. So I like Cross 
uh, as a top 10 pick. Uh, this is kind of where it gets hedged so well, Will. You know, it was the hedging of the defenders as well, where he could, you know, in different sort of defensive schemes where he was on uh, a defensive end. And then, you know, based on where the direction of the play was going, you know, he had to sort of chip at a tackle or, you know, sort of pick up potentially a safety blitz. And he was able to, again, with that lateral quickness, have that hedging ability. And that's what really also jumped out. Absolutely. And you couple that with the fact that he's playing in the SEC, which is the greatest conference in terms of translating talent to the NFL. He just checks a lot of boxes. And I think Charles Cross is not being talked about as enough as those, you know, Aquanus or the Evan Neals, but he's in that category for me. I think he's a little bit lesser of a grade, but still like an A grade for me when it comes to Charles Cross. This is where it gets interesting. These next kind of tackles, um, late first rounders. I want to see who you kind of had as your number four, and I'll try to fill in the blanks from there. So for me, Will, you know, it was – I really liked uh, Kenyon Green. Um, and yes. he was somebody who uh, I was very impressed by, uh, both statistically as well as on film. And I think the thing that he did exceptionally well – was his ability to block in the run game and his ability to pull um, and sort of pull laterally on, you know, sweeps on sort of long counter runs, zone reads. Um, His ability to sort of get down the field um, was absolutely exceptional. And again, I think that's a thing that he does arguably as well or better than the other prospects we've talked about. And I think that he had... He has incredible physicality. Um, I think he's a tremendous uh, sort of run stopper. Um, And what I really loved about his game is twofold. One is that it was a tremendous amount of flexibility in his game. He played all four positions outside of center. Um, And I think that where he can be a little bit better and why he's not quite in that, you know, top three group is needs maybe a little bit more patience uh, at the point of attack, you know, especially in the pass game. You know, the, the skill set for run blocking, when you can sort of pull, you have that head of steam, you're sort of got your, you know, your head's on a swivel, you've got the right center of gravity, you've got the right pad level, and you can sort of hit around um, as, you, as you see. And he was very comfortable in movement. But when he was more in a stationary position in sort of pure drop back traditional pass game, he sometimes looked a little bit off balance, um, but, you know, still highly effective. And I that's something that he will learn technique wise. But I think if you can sort of marry his pass blocking ability with the existing elite play as a run blocker, I think you have another great gem there and you have the building blocks to work with. Um, with Green, and so Green was a guy that I really liked. I loved Kenyon Green, and for the tape, he played his best game against Alabama two years ago in 2020. The pass blocking from that, the run blocking, you know, he's swinging out as a guard, making plays on the right-hand side, and Alabama is the litmus test. It is like the SAT to get into college. This is as close as you're going to get to an NFL defense. Nick Saban is running that, who could have had – any head coaching job he wanted outside of maybe four or five guys over the years, he has decided to stay in college. And, you know, I just thought he passed the test with flying colors two years ago. You had another year where he was very good. Again, the run blocking stands out to me, man. It really does. 
there was this one tape uh, I watched against Auburn where he opened maybe the widest running lane of any player yeah. on this list that we scouted. I mean, I could have walked through there for a 15-yard gain. And this is the Auburn Tigers, you know, a very talented, prestigious school that he was just bowling at the line of attack. Is he a perfect prospect? No, I think he's the end of the first round, which is still a hell of a good job to be, a position to be in. But he is my number one guard. And he has the versatility to play tackle if it goes down. But he is my number one guard. I'm really, really pumped about a guy like Kenyon Green. And to keep it on the interior offensive line, I want to talk about maybe the safest pick in the draft. Let's be honest. We we go into Kyle Hamilton being a safe pick, and it, he's, he's of that-esque. He is – you put him on the field, he will be a pro bowler within the first two years, and probably we were talking all pro by the time that second contract comes up. And that's Tyler Linderbaum. And, dude, when I tell you, to use a madman phrase, I was salivating watching this. I mean, I'm watching, like, Jason Kelsey 2.0 here. Like, it does not get better than this guy, 6'3", 290. He had the highest grade of any center in the history of PFF at 95.4 this guy can literally do it all and it the run blocking was amazing the pass blocking but it's that second level of blocking the awareness he has he doesn't miss anything on the field he is so alert and you know the the center position it's the captain of the offensive line you have to be in charge of everyone no one is more in charge of the line than Tyler Linderbaum when he's on the football field dude I gotta hear your take because we have long discussed if there's someone that is guaranteed to be a star player, you know, the draft is a gamble. You got to take this guy in the top 10. I don't give a shit, you know, outside of maybe a kicker or a punter, you got to take a guy in the top 10. Tyler Linderbaum is that dude. And I think he is worthy of his top 10 uh, projection after watching his tape, my man. Will, uh, you nailed it. Linder Linderbaum is as can't miss as at his position as maybe any prospect at any position. I mean, yes. it, it really is. I mean, what essentially kind of Peyton Manning was back in, you know, the 98 draft in terms of, you know, can't miss um, is, is basically what this guy is to the center position. You, you hit on kind of the really big points. Well, first of all, he's a center. And anytime you can get any sort of, Next level athleticism, quickness, um, the ability to be nimble and agile at the center position. It just opens up your playbook in an absolutely phenomenal way. His intelligence was next level. What I what really impressed me was the number of times, you know, he was responsible for audibles and resetting uh, the offensive formation in high pressure situations in the Big Ten. Um, and then, of course, I think his his superpower not only is just the intelligence, the quickness, but you hit on it, Will, and that is the second level blocking. And I can't tell you, you know, that's a very hard thing to do for any yeah. lineman is how do you get to that second level without being illegal man downfield? How how do you have the instincts behind you to sort of feel a play and know when it's time to sort of stretch uh, the, the verticality, sort of the line of verticality of that play and, and block downfield without getting penalized, it's hard enough for anyone, let alone for the center, who has all of these line of scrimmage responsibilities, who really has to be locked in 
at the you know, up until the quarterback actually has the ball, not when it's time of the snap, and then the ability to go down second level and just have these clean blocks. I mean, in terms of just level of center of gravity, he was so horizontal, parallel horizontal in terms of his hands and his hips to the ground, just absolute clean play. He's, he's very special. And uh, the only thing I could say to NFL GMs, if he slips at all, is how absolutely short-sighted can you be? Uh, because if you have any sort of deep appreciation and understanding of the NFL game, this guy should be top five, top four um, in, that, in that neighborhood. I'm looking at you, New York Jets. You've got two top 10 picks. I mean, why not just get a guaranteed guy? You get good yep. by getting a lot of good players, good to great players. This guy, for my money, is one of the safest bets in the draft. You got to take him if he's there. Uh, Linderbaum is our guy. Uh, I love the quickness that he provides as well. I do want to touch on that. Just how fast he's able to get to the second level. Like at 6'3", 290. It's hard for me to find a center that can do that in the current NFL that is that quick, that fast, knows where to go, can dialogue the play for the running back in a, quick, a snap of a fingers effectively. So Linderbaum is a stud. Also beat Tristan Wirfs in wrestling and high school for the state championship. So this guy's strong as hell. We know Tristan Wirfs is a stud uh, down the Buccaneers. So hell of a play there uh, from our well, guy let's Linderbaum. Be real here. I'm sure, you know, Iowa is the Alabama of college wrestling. So, you know, it's, uh, uh, you know, Linderbaum, I'm sure is, is that his share of sort of practices with, with, with some of the guys on the wrestling team, you know, in terms of technique as well. Boy, and just beating Wirfs, the caliber of a tackle that that guy is. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know about the tenacity of Tyler Linderbaum. The next two tackles I got for you, and you can rank these guys in any order you would like, uh, Bernard Raymond and Trevor Penny. Uh, two guys that were small school guys, Raymond being, you know, lower level division one in the Mac and, uh, you know, Trevor Penny, who is a division two prospect coming from Northern Iowa. Um, I had one a little bit above the other, but both are great stories. Uh, I just learned Raymond is playing uh, left tackle only two years in his career. He started as a tight end and was one of the highest graded uh, left tackles when it came to PFF in the run in the past uh, came from Austria Came out as a transfer student to Michigan, really did some big things there. And then with Trevor Penning, we talk about the similar build to Evan Neal. This guy is six foot seven, 330 pounds. Um, was a guy I would have liked to see a little bit more consistently uh, in the senior bowl, at least excelling, but he had a 97.3 grade. I, I know it was against Division II, but that's exactly what you want to see from a guy that is coming to the you know NFL from that Division II school. He's got to dominate at that level. Give me your thoughts on Penning and Raymond, because I love both these guys for maybe an end-of-the-first-round pick, uh, depending on where your team is selecting. Yeah, well, you know, Penning is kind of my guy and has been from kind of the start of this process. I know he didn't show out quite as well uh, on, on the All-Star circuit, but again, you know, the massive size at 6'6", he's, you know, very close to Evan Neal, you know, just sort of one inch off there. Um, and, and similar build at, at 330. Um, yeah, he absolutely sort of dominated at, you know, Northern Iowa and, you know, kind of took care of the competition. It's, you know, you, you, the, the only sort of comparable team that you can maybe look at 
uh, when he was playing was North Dakota State. And, and you know, he, he sort of excelled with, with flying colors there. It was really no problem. Uh, but beyond, you know, who he was playing, I was more concerned about technique. I was more concerned about, you know, how he was able to handle, uh, you know, edge quickness. And uh, what particularly impressed me was um, whenever I saw him going up against quicker guys on the edge, you know, the radius of that edge circle just became sort of wider and wider. It almost felt, you know, the, the ends that he was sort of going up against, you know, it's almost like, you know, when you're driving and you're trying to, you know, make a right turn into a tight squeeze, you almost have to go left first to sort of go around. And, yeah. you know, the, the edge guys, you know, you have to sort of make this sort of right turn and, you know, you're practically three-fifths of the way down the sideline before you even can kind of go upfield. And so just his sheer girth, his sheer sort of ability to push guys out, granted not elite competition, but again, that is technique um, that will help him. And I think he's very polished. He's very NFL ready. He's not as athletic as some of the guys that we talked about, which is why he's more of a first round type of guy. But he's going to be a guy that's going to be in your rotation. You know what you're going to get from him. And I think he's going to be very productive. Um, and, and for those reasons, you know, I, I like Penning a little bit more. For sure. And I think Penning is my, like my higher ranked tackle as well. I just like what I see from him. And I think at the very least, you can pencil in a solid NFL starting left tackle. Like worst case scenario for Trevor Penning. Raymond's more of a project. Um, I think he's going to need a lot more coaching. He was speaking of struggles in the senior bowl. He was either burned or, you know, held his own. It was very inconsistent work from Raymond there. Um, if you're looking for a potential guy to develop, because I think he's, you know, only two years at tackle coming from tight end, this could be a project you're looking for long-term with some of those teams that do have good offensive lines. Like, Let's say the Packers want to draft him because they got Bakhtiari at left tackle and they can maybe groom Raymond to be the next left tackle. And they, and they, they restructured Bakhtiari's contract just now. So there's sort of some, uh, you know, some writing on the wall there. I think that's a great call. Yeah. And, you know, he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. When he's healthy on the field, Bakhtiari is a difference maker. But health is, you know, the most valuable asset you can give to a football team is just staying on the field and doing your part. If they're worried about that, like you said, restructuring the deal, Raymond would be a great pick for them, I think, at the end of the first round. I think there's a 26th, 27th pick range. Why not take a flyer on him? Um, that's my top five OT offensive tackles. I want to talk to you about some guys that may were maybe were close to making the list but didn't actually get on. Uh, who are those guys for you, Madman? So one guy, uh, you know, and it's hard to sort of bucket, um, but one guy that really was close for me that that jumped out for me was uh, Zion Johnson. Uh, yeah. You know, he was a guy who I really liked um, on film. And, and one of the reasons I liked him a great deal was his ability to play all five positions, including center. And that's something that is just so rare um, in today's day and age. And when you sort of looked at him, on the all-star circuit um, and you saw him kind of going up against uh, sort of in his one-on-one -on -one drills, you know, he had a lot of one-on-one -on -one battles with a fellow Bruin, uh, Agbania, and uh, did more than just hold his own. Um, and Agbania is sort of very similar at this stage to what Odigizua was 
a year earlier. And so when you're just trying to sort of benchmark uh, and, and create sort of some sort of similarity in terms of normalizing the talent, uh, I loved what Zion Johnson brought to the table. And um, I think he's actually an even better, uh, you know, blocker, run blocker from the center spot um, than he is even when he's playing tackle or guard. Uh, I think his pad level sometimes gets a little bit high when he's, you know, in those other positions um, and can look awkward at times. But I think those are fixable things at the next level. Um, but just his ability to be sort of flexible uh, across the different, uh, across the offensive line um, and be able to be an effective in the pass game as well as in the run game, you know, another really quality rotational player with the inevitable injuries that take place over the course of now a 17-game NFL season, you want a guy um, like Johnson in your rotation. And uh, he really jumped out uh, for those reasons for me. I love Zion Johnson. And he held his own at Boston College, was an all-ACC selection. We talked about senior boys, the last guy in the field snapping the football uh, as a center. You know, that's that the versatility really stands out there because he's willing to play any position on the line. Um, another guy similar to Johnson, I've got these guys ranked two and three in the guard position behind Kenyon Green. Jamari Salyer, we talked about him on our underrated list. This guy gave up zero sacks at the left tackle for Georgia. You know, playing the best of the best competition, your Michigans, your Alabamas, you know, you name it, the SEC. Salyer really stood out, and I just don't think he's getting his just due. I think that guy, you know, maybe from day one could be a very solid starter in the, in the guard spot. Really like what I've seen from Salyer. Uh, a couple other tackles that stood out to me, Darian Kennard, the Kentucky OT. Uh, he was the highest-graded pass blocker in the SEC over the likes of Charles Cross. Like this guy was a boss in the past game, not necessarily flashy, but he's tough. He's nasty out there. He's making plays and he's doing whatever possible, scratching, crawling. He kind of reminds me of like a John Runyon. I don't know if you remember him from back in the day, the yeah. Eagles offensive lineman, but you know, it was, it was kind of like maybe he's doing stuff after the whistle. Maybe he's getting your head a little bit, but he's getting the job done at the end of the day. And that's what matters most at the tackle spots. So Darian Kennard is a guy that I really liked. Uh, we also mentioned Kellen Deesh on the underrated list. I think I got to bring him up too. Six foot seven, 300 pounds. Um, highest guy ranked at the Shrine Bowl. More than backed up that ranking. Didn't lose a snap at the Shrine Bowl until like the last day. Uh, so, you know, Kellen Deesh is a guy that I look at and go, this guy could be an immediate starter, you know, in the third or fourth round. And that's essentially what you're looking for in those rounds. You're looking for starter level talent that may have fallen, you know, from the first and second. Anything more than that, I think it's a gift to that team. And, you know, you're not always going to pick your Tom Brady's or your George Kittles, for that matter, that fell in the sixth and fifth round. But if you can get those starters, man, I think that's good. Do you have any other tackles that you like that, uh, you know, may have fallen out of the list, but were in deep consideration uh, to be considered for this? Well, again, you know, I don't know what it is about us, but we, we seem to have similar lists always. And, you know, we never, it's almost like, you know, when you go to the, the professor or the teacher and you say, I swear to God, I wasn't cheating on this test. I don't know how, you know, the essays sound so similar. Uh, but you sort of took the words out of my mouth from, uh, for, for a lot of these prospects. Everyone you mentioned was very close on my list. And so I think we got great coverage there, uh, definitely. And, and I think, again, to your point, the one thing I will say is I think there is a noticeable drop-off in this class uh, after you get out of 
you know, the first six or seven prospects, there's definitely a standard deviation drop, whether that is in terms of raw athleticism, explosiveness, um, you know, pad level uh, and what have you. But the key there is with some of these prospects that have just missed, you know, that upper echelon, you know, can they get into those right systems and be coached the right way? Um, and be starter level quality players for seven, 10, 12 years. And I think we have a nice mix of that with this draft. I definitely think so as well, man. And the tackle class, like we said, the top, one of the best I can remember just in terms of depth, you can get six or seven offensive tackles that will be day one starters. So I balk at the people that say this is not a deep draft. I could not, you could not be more wrong on that pick. I'm loving this draft. I'm loving this podcast too with you, Madman. Thank you for coming on once again and making this such an awesome experience for our listeners. LEFB, like, subscribe, uh, you know, to our YouTube channel. Make sure you're paying attention to everything going on. With draft is in session, we are.